0: Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect. Participate. Celebrate. Would you please join me in a moment of prayer before our sermon? Let us pray. Oh God, we offer this time in our lives to you to hear your word. Above all the clamor of politics in the world, of all the many voices that lack reason, of all the uncertainties about our health and welfare, in the midst of it all, there is the still small voice of your spirit, a voice of calm, a voice of healing, saying to us, I am the King of Kings, I am the Lord of Lords, I am the truth. And so may in the spirit of Christ our Lord, may I speak and may we hear him in this time. Amen. Okay, confession time. I have binged watched episodes of the Canadian program, Kim's Convenience, over the last few days between Christmas and New Year. And I love that show. And I know that there have been others throughout the world who have loved that show. It is, in a sense, a microcosm of life from one of our cultures here in Toronto. Innes Choi is a wonderful person who put that together and it is engaging, and it is funny. And there is within Kim's convenience, though, a phrase that keeps popping up. There was even an episode set aside, even called this phrase, and this phrase alone. Never heard it before. I'm not sure how often it's been repeated or how authentic it is, but the phrase is sneak attack. And in this show, if you have a sneak attack, something duplicitous has happened, something that is of questionable truth, something that catches you by surprise and you're not expecting it. It's a sneak attack and it comes upon you and you don't know where it's coming from. Some of the episodes are hilarious in how that sneak attack manifests itself right down to arguing whether or not someone really owns a refrigerator or not. It's sneak attack, who owns it, who doesn't. It's all very, very funny. If you haven't, you should watch it. But I thought of that word, I don't know why, sneak attack, when I read our passage from scripture today. Because in many ways, it's about a sneak attack about something that catches by surprise something that has actually got a bad side to it but on the other hand can become something that is transformative the gospel of mark tells us a story in considerable detail unlike luke and matthew in detail about a woman who comes incognito to jesus while he was in the midst of a crowd. And in classic form, Mark is telling the story and begins the story with Jairus' daughter, but then inserts this story and then continues the Jairus' daughter's story afterwards. He does this in many ways to highlight an event, to get us to think about the importance of event. This sneak attack by this woman who had come to Jesus in the midst of all of this was a very, very important moment. And in many ways, because of it, this incredible story has touched the lives of many people ever since. Now, there are some who question the the verisimilitude of of this passage, whether or not it is really truthful, whether or not it really happened, or that Mark is putting it all together. But to question that is to misunderstand first-century Palestine and to misunderstand the whole life and the story of Jesus. This is something that very much could have happened. It was very, very earthy and real. There is no need to doubt in sense that integrity of this story, it is rich with meaning. And Mark has it there for a reason. And uh, one of the great reasons is to show how important it is for people who are on the periphery to speak to us. How important it is for people on the periphery to speak to us. The great theologian, and unfortunately now past and deceased, Fred Craddock, often says of Mark's gospel that it's about insiders and outsiders, and that a lot of the stories that Mark tells and highlights are stories of people who are initially seen to be outside the covenant of God's grace and brought inside the covenant of God's grace. So many of the stories speak of people who are on the outs, but are now in a sense coming in. People who have been banned from going to the synagogue or the temple for some reason are now brought back in. And that the ministry of Jesus is very much focused on bringing the outsiders in, of bringing people who actually were seen not to belong to God to actually come to a knowledge and an experience of God. We find this in this passage. Now, the context is very important. Jesus is in his Galilean ministry. It's fairly early on in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus, we had heard, had already been on the east side of Galilee, which is a Gentile side of Galilee and was at the time of Jesus. But he had traveled to the west side, which was the Jewish side, with places like Tiberias and others. Jesus is now on the western side, on the Jewish side. And we read that this woman came to him and she wanted to reach out to him. She was someone who very much was on the outside of the covenant, who had been deemed excluded from the temple and the synagogue as someone who was ritually unclean. We're told that she had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. And according to Leviticus 15 verses 25 to 30, if that is the case, a woman is excluded from going into the temple, making sacrifices. And so this woman for 12 years had felt excluded from religious rites and rituals and was deemed unclean. She had tried to get doctors to heal her, It's not as if she hadn't actually gone out of her way. And Mark tells us that she had seen many doctors. So clearly, she wanted to put right what she saw as something that was wrong medically in her. But of course, in biblical times, there was a great cost in going to doctors. Now, remember, the doctors we're talking about are not like those that practice modern medicine. In many ways, it was very simple and very crude, and it was really by experiment. And there were some weird and some wonderful ideas about how you could actually solve this problem, including sometimes taking eggs from birds and eating them and all kinds of weird stuff. But she'd spent her money, all her money, on trying to heal herself, to make herself ritually clean. She'd gone everything that she could possibly do on her own. But I remember what my father once said, that humanity's extremity provides God's opportunity. And this woman saw an opportunity. The opportunity was to come and to meet this man that the crowds were gathering to hear and to see. But we're told that she was frightened And you can understand her fear in coming to Jesus at a moment like that. I mean, first of all, she'd be revealing to the crowd, revealing to others that she was, in fact, hemorrhaging, that she was an outcast by many standards, Levitically. And yet, here she was, coming to Jesus in the midst of a lot of people to seek his healing and his guidance, She believed that if she just touched his cloak, she would be healed. But she must have also been terrified. I mean, Jesus had this great reputation, yes. Crowds were following him. He was a hero. But on the other hand, if he was the Messiah, as some people were saying, if he was the Son of God, which is what Mark says at the beginning of his gospel, If that is what she believed, then coming directly into the presence of the Messiah and the presence of God when you have been deemed ritually unclean was a terrifying prospect for this woman. And so she did a sneak attack. She came incognito, but she came fearfully, but also faithfully, expecting something great to happen. And this woman has in many ways become an icon of people who wonder whether or not they should be able and are worthy or not to ask and to seek for the guidance and the power and the presence of God in Jesus Christ. She has become an icon of people who wonder whether or not because of blots in their background or in their life or sins that they have committed or imperfections in their faith or various and sundry things prevents them from coming to God. This woman is an icon of someone who came in the midst of all of that and sought Jesus' help. She spoke from the periphery, from the outside. And she spoke, though, with her actions. This also tells us, though, powerfully, that people who are on the periphery can still be drawn into the center. We're told that she went up to Jesus and touched his cloak. Now, of course, in the time of Jesus, men often wore four different types of of tassels on their clothing, and their tassels would hang down, and these were representations of the law. These had deep, significant meaning. And so in touching his cloak, she's touching, in a sense, a representation of of the law of God. She's reaching out to the tassels that would have been on his jacket. And she said, if I can only just touch these, I will be healed. And immediately, immediately, she felt the freedom of healing. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt that she was now well. Something transpired in her act of faith in reaching out and touching those tassels that absolutely astounded her. She'd come with that expectation with a degree of fear, but also a degree of courage. And here she was now. Here she was, touching the tassel and feeling that she has been healed. There's no explanation given, no how was this done, no further examination of what transpired. Just a simple statement of faith and reality based on what she was experiencing she felt as if she had been healed but she only got that way because in her vulnerability she reached out to god she reached out to christ and she sought him in the midst of this crowd and all its people in a wonderful book by joan chichester She talks about her own walk with faith and her own personal struggles. And she deals with the issue of vulnerability in her own life. And Joan Chichester, and I do recommend her books to you, Joan Chichester tells this one little story, a cameo of her life, about how vulnerability can actually bring us closer to God if we have the courage to reach out. She wrote this, and my goodness, in the COVID moment, this is really powerful stuff. My months in a polio hospital were some of the most devastating and most meaningful of my life. I was only 16 when the disease struck and the life of unremitting disability seemed on hard days to be more than I could bear. No one knew if I would ever walk again. No one knew what, if anything, I'd be able to do to make a living. No one could guarantee that I could get better, nor did anyone try. And worse, whatever the sense of isolation, I was alone in the dread and agony of polio's unknowables. Some people there, I realized, quarantine, bored by the interminable waiting for therapies and cures and help that never came, were more crippled by depression than by paralysis. Others railed daily at the thought of being restrained in any way. A few worked day and night to no avail against the ravages of the disease and got quieter and quieter as the months went by. But there were two fellows in the ward at the end of the hall who made all the difference. Every day at 10 o'clock, just as the staff began to meet for consultations, they rolled from room to room in their wheelchairs, organizing the daily wheelchair race in the hall. They gave points and prizes and long applause to the winners. It was weeks before I got up the energy to join them, but when I look back now, I realize that the day I did was the day I began to get well. Vulnerability is the call to self-acceptance. It is great and a liberating moment in the human journey. Well, this woman in our story, in her vulnerability decided to do something. And what she decided to do was to reach out to God, to do something. When this happened, Jesus immediately felt the power go out of him. Once she touched that garment, he felt the power go out of him. He would have felt the power of the Spirit of God in fact, flowing to her. He would have felt the power of someone's faith reaching out to him in a time of need. And so he asks when this happens, because of this sneak attack, you know, who touched me? And the disciples make light of it. Come on, man, you're in a big crowd. Why? <laughs> of course people are going to touch you. But Jesus knew that this was different. He knew this was special. He knew from the power that was actually being transmitted from him to this woman in need that something profound had taken place. He knew that in her vulnerability, in her vulnerability, she had received a blessing of God. Many times I think that we're a bit like Joan Chichester when she was struggling with polio and struggling with isolation and struggling with the unknown. What do you do in a time like that? What do you do when you find that you can't heal yourself? What do you do when you live in a moment of uncertainty? You reach out to God and Christ in faith. That's what you do. And that's how this woman was taken from the periphery to the center of things. But one of the things that amazes me about this is that the person from the periphery becomes the witness to faith. That this woman who in many ways was seemingly unknown, comes into the center of things. One of my former professors at Rhodes University in South Africa, Felicity Edwards, someone who I admire immensely and taught me a great deal in theology, actually did a little section on the healing of this woman. And I made some notes and I went back and I blew off my dust covers. They are old. Even the paper is going yellow and sticking together. But I went back and I thought, I'm, I remember a lecture when she spoke about this woman. And she said, this seemingly unknown woman was launched into the center of history. Was launched into the center of history. We've no idea her name. We don't know who she is, where she came from. She's a bit like the unknown soldier that is often memorialized. But whoever she was, whoever she was, she was launched in the center of history because of her faith. And look at what Jesus does with her. Look how he responds to her. What does he call her? Daughter. Daughter. In the Greek it is thugata, which means a descendant or a family member. It's a term of endearment. Daughter, he called her. Your faith has made you well. Daughter, your faith has made you well. This woman who otherwise would have been on the periphery, would have been on the outside, is now encountered by none other than the Son of God himself and affirmed now as a daughter because of her faith. She has been transformed not only in her body, not only in her healing, but in her very soul, in her very personhood. And she represents for us powerfully, as Felicity Edwards went on in her lecture to say, she represents all those who cry out to God in help and want to hear, you are a daughter. You are a son, you are a child of God, and Jesus is the one who has made this possible. I was given a book not very long ago by the Canadian Bible Society as an encourager, as a thank you, as a gift And it is by a man called, and I want to get this absolutely right, Ken Shigematsu. Ken Shigematsu is someone who ministers in British Columbia here in Canada. And he has written a book called The Survival Guide for Our Soul. And in it, he tells a story about a woman called Ruth Martin who was graduating from medical school and was a member of his church, a devout Christian woman. And she wasn't sure what she wanted to do with her medicine once she had got her credentials, but she was being drawn evermore to go into the prison system and to work as a doctor for those who were in prisons. She weighed this all up and thought, this is a a terrible move. I mean, this is not exactly where you want to end up when you've just come out of medical school. But nevertheless, she went into the prisons and she cared for women, particularly women who were giving birth in prison and how difficult it was for them. Many of them were indigenous women who lived a long, long way from their families and had little or no support. And in many ways, it was one of the most heartbreaking and inspiring things that she could ever have done. She's now very well known as a professor of medicine that deals with incarceration and particularly with women's issues. And Ken Shigematsu says something very interesting in the light of her experience, her willingness to go and to break out of the normal mold of of ordinary medical practice to go and help people specifically. He writes this, When we expose ourselves to those who are suffering, be it through our career, volunteer work, mission trip, or the caregiving for a disabled loved one, we begin to realize that our lives could have looked very different. we become aware that we have benefited by winning a kind of lottery. These illuminating experiences fill us with striving passion to make the most of our life and to have a soulful gratitude and humility to serve honor- others and honor the giver of all gifts. Shigematsu's argument is this, that in confronting vulnerability, in confronting the problems of others, in confronting the brokenness of the world, it becomes an opportunity for God to do remarkable things. And as we begin this new year, I think this woman on the west side of Galilee speaks to us, don't you? From the periphery, she reached out to Christ in faith. She came to the center, having been on the border. She came as someone in faith. And despite all her fears, and all her uncertainties, she trusted that Christ would heal her. And when he did, he called her, daughter. Is there a greater moment in scripture than this? I don't think so. Do you? Amen. Amen.